Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 45 and today I want to talk about homeschool registration. A bit of a dry topic but one that is necessary for people like us who have to get our applications to homeschool our children approved. Yes, if we want to be legally homeschooling in our state of New South Wales, we have to fulfill certain requirements. How do we do that if we are unschoolers? That's a question I'd like to explore today. Is it possible to unschool and also be a registered homeschooler? Maybe there are some people who like the idea of unschooling, but they can't see a way around having to do what is necessary to get their homeschool application approved. So is it possible? Well, we've been unschooling a number of years now. We live in New South Wales, Australia, and our requirements, our registration process is really quite strict. It's tightened up over the years, and we have to base our learning plans for our children on the school curriculum, which is rather tricky for unschoolers. An authorised person comes to visit us at least every two years and she wants to see a learning plan that is based on what the school children are learning, what they're doing in schools. She doesn't want to see one based on our children's own individual interests. She also wants to have a look at what our children have been learning in the last period of registration. Does it match up to the curriculum? Yes, how can we let our children learn what they'd like to to follow their own interests if we have to prove that what they have been learning matches up to the school curriculum? How can we tick all those boxes off if we just let our kids go their own way and learn what is important to them? We've been unschooling for many years and we have never had any problem getting our homeschool registrations approved. My children have been registered homeschoolers now for about 23 years, and we've always sailed through the process. At the same time, I've never compromised what I'm doing with my children. I've never compromised their own unique way of learning. I've managed to balance both the registration requirements and my children's own needs. So today I'd just like to share what I've been doing with my children. I don't know if our situation is similar to one you're in. Maybe some of my ideas might be useful or at least maybe there'll be a starting point for thought, for discussion, for some research. If we didn't have to register our children as homeschoolers, it would be very, very easy. We could just do whatever we'd like, and we wouldn't have to think about things like registration and how to satisfy education authorities. But unfortunately, that's not our situation. And even though I hope that the situation will change in coming years, maybe get a little bit more relaxed, maybe unschooling will be more recognized as a legitimate way of learning. Right at this moment, I have to satisfy certain people that my children are learning learning certain things. I'm not willing to wait for the situation to change. I'm going to unschool today and I'm going to try and keep everybody happy. And to do that, I think I have to be absolutely certain 
that unschooling is what we want to do. Unschooling is so important to our family that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get us legally registered and also to live the life we want to live. And that means that I have to do a lot of extra behind the scenes work so that my children can learn in the way that they want to learn. This involves a lot of time and a lot of effort and some clever thinking. There are certain things our children are supposed to learn and we have to prove to the educational authorities that our children have actually covered that work and not only that but achieved the outcomes. And when our authorised person comes to visit she expects to see these records and when she glances through them it should be obvious to her that our children are learning what is in the school curriculum and actually are progressing in their learning. Now structured homeschoolers don't have a problem with this, they probably have a plan that their children have worked to, a plan based on the school curriculum. Maybe they have textbooks and worksheets and other evidence that their children have covered certain subjects. But what do we do as unschoolers? We don't have any written work or any textbooks, any worksheets, any plans are structured. But I still have to present the authorised person with um, homeschool records. So what I have to do is translate all the natural learning experiences my children are having into the right educational language. And then I have to present it in a, such a way that the authorised person is impressed by it all, that she can see without a doubt that our children are learning. So I think it's important that we think carefully about the method that we are using to record unschooling. We want to show unschooling off to its best advantage. Yes, we want our children's natural learning experiences to look impressive so that the educational authorities will know without a doubt that our kids are learning, that they're learning a lot. I'm sure there's lots of different methods of homeschool record keeping that would be appropriate for unschooling. If you've listened to any of my previous podcasts or if you read my blog, you'll know that I love Evernote. I've been using it now for nearly two years and at our last homeschool registration visit, I presented my Evernote records for the very first time and my authorised person was absolutely impressed with them. She thought they were wonderful. So it, it is a system that does work. So I'm going to talk mostly about Evernote, but on the understanding that not everybody has to use Evernote. There might be something else equally as good. So I have a notebook for every single term of the school year. And in that notebook, I record all the learning experiences that my children have, videos that they watch, external music classes that they go to, books that they read, discussions that we have, there are numerous ways that we can record unschooling. We can use photographs, we can use links, we can copy and paste documents, we can put PDFs into our notes, music files, we can link to YouTube, we can link to any website um, on the internet. And it doesn't really take very long if we're paying attention to our children's learning to actually get an impressive notebook full of learning experiences. And once we have our notebooks full of things that our children are learning, because of course our unschooled children are always learning, there are so many things that we could put in if we look carefully around us, if we look at them through 
the right eyes because sometimes I think that we miss opportunities for recording learning experiences we don't recognize them for example we use maths all the time in our everyday lives but how many times do we stop and say look that was an example of division or that was an example of algebra or whatever we get so used to using maths that we don't actually stop and think I could record that experience in my homeschool records book the same with things that we're talking about we might just be enjoying a discussion with our children not even thinking about education but if we think about it later on, we might think, well, look, that was geography and history we were discussing, even though we don't actually name it at the time. But we're turning it into the right educational language. Yes, we always have to be on the lookout for learning experiences that we can record. And once we put those learning experiences into our notebooks, we have to label them correctly. The education authorities are expecting to see that our children are doing things like science, history, English, geography, creative arts, and we have to label everything properly. We also have to link it up to the school curriculum, and the way I'm doing this is by using the outcomes. Everything in the school curriculum has an outcome number. How do I know which outcome number to apply to a particular learning experience? Well, I have become more and more familiar with the syllabus and with the outcomes just by taking time to read it through carefully, to Google any terms that I'm not sure about. I have a copy of the school syllabus in my Evernote notebooks. I have copies of the outcome numbers as well. And I flip through them all every now and then and see what I can match up to what my children are actually doing. It does take a bit of time. I think it gets easier and quicker the more we become familiar with the documents. And it is a bit of a nuisance and I don't really enjoy doing it, but as I said, I will do anything to ensure that my children are able to unschool. So this time and effort that I'm putting in doing this behind the scenes work, I feel is useful. Sometimes when I'm reading through the school syllabus, I don't understand much of it at all. It's all done in educational language. I do know that some teachers don't even understand the documents very well. I am, my husband's a school teacher, and so I discuss these sort of things with him. What does it all mean? What do these statements, these outcomes actually mean? I have an advantage. I talk about these things with my school teacher husband. He sometimes points me in the right direction. Other than that, I just Google things. There's also a glossary I've noticed for the new Australian syllabus. Some of the words can be clicked on and it takes me to a glossary and I can um, work out what they actually mean. For example, I was looking at the geography syllabus earlier today and I came across a few words which I wasn't exactly sure about. Our children are supposed to learn about geomorphic hazards. What is a geomorphic hazard? So I looked at the glossary and I found out that it's something like a natural disaster. It wouldn't actually be a disaster if there were no people on the earth, like a landslide or a flood or a bushfire that's been started by lightning, things like that. It's only a disaster when people are involved. Other than that, it's probably just something very natural. They affect the environment. So once I knew what that word meant, geomorphic hazard, I knew that I could link up a discussion about bushfires to that outcome. 
because sometimes I think that our children have covered an awful lot of the syllabus. We just do not realize it because we don't understand the language in the documents. For example, another one, geographic tools. Our children have to learn how to use a geographic tools. What is a geographic tool? I was thinking of things like theodolites and thinking, my children don't have an opportunity to use one of those. How will I persuade an authorised person that my children are proficient in geographic tools? So I did some Googling and I found out that geographic tools are such things as globes and atlases and Google Maps, GPS systems, graphs, statistics, tables, even photographs, aerial photographs, satellite photographs, street view photographs, then books, the internet, websites, journals, newspapers, interviews. These are all things that give us information about geography. We can use an app for finding the temperature of a particular area or we can Google altitude to find out how high a mountain is. We can read journals about explorers of the environment or reports on the environment, other people's research and get lots of geographical information. We can also go out there in the field with certain equipment and obtain geographical information of our own. So once I knew what geographical tools meant, what the document means by this term, it was quite easy for me to link up various things that my children have been learning. They use Google Maps all the time. They've used a globe. We're always looking up what temperature it is at home and other places. We're interested in altitude because we live in a mountainous area. We're always comparing where we live to other places. We use maps a lot, going out, GPS when we travel different places. So these commonplace experiences can be given an outcome in the school syllabus. My children have covered them. But what if there is something in the school syllabus that my children haven't covered and I am not able to tick it off and to show the authorised person that they have actually done that unit of work? Well, sometimes I just browse the documents. I have a look and I mentally check off, yes, they've done something of this area, they've done something in that area. I can find outcomes for this, that and the other. But no, they haven't had an interest in this particular area. What am I going to do about it? And that's where strewing comes in. It's where I go looking for interesting ways to introduce my children to a particular topic. And sometimes I say things like, would you like to have a look at this? Or, or you could watch this with me. Or I put a book in front of them. Or I might say, shall we go and visit this particular place? Suggestions for fulfilling outcomes. Of course, if my children aren't interested, I can't make them do it. I can only offer them an opportunity for learning. Yes, yeah, sometimes my efforts fail. But I don't worry about this. I just let it go. I've done my duty, I feel, as far as the educational requirements goes. I gave them an opportunity to cover a certain section of the syllabus, but they refused to pick up on that area. They had no interest in it. We can't force children to cooperate. And I don't think this applies just to homeschoolers. It also applies to children in school. A child can sit in a class and refuse to do the work. All a teacher can do is try and engage his or her students, try and make the work interesting. They can't force a child to actually do it. 
No, I guess they all hope that the children will be, that they'll be interested enough to do it. But if a child sits there and refuses to get involved, there's really not an awful lot a teacher can do. They just do their best. And I think it's the same with homeschooling parents. I read um, something in an official document a few weeks ago, something I found on the internet. I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but it was an official education document for our state to do with homeschooling. And it said that a parent cannot be refused homeschool registration if a child refuses to cooperate. I think they used the word lazy. If a child is lazy and will not work, a parent cannot be held responsible and the registration cannot be refused. The parent has done her part. So I think probably if we have gaps in our outcomes, I would probably present what I found for my children to do and say that they didn't actually do it. It doesn't mean that they won't do it in the future, but at this particular time, they haven't done it, but it's there in the planning. If they want to come back to it later on, I've covered that. They can yet learn it at any time. Now, I have a good relationship with our authorized person. She has come to visit us a number of times, and... I've had absolutely no problem with getting through our registration visits. She's not the only person that I have dealt with. Over the 23 years, I've dealt with a number of different people, and it's always been very, very friendly. And so I think it's good to build up a relationship with our authorized person. I think we could be aggressive. We could say, this is my child. No one can tell me what to do, how to educate my children. And we can get a little bit defensive. We're going to fight the system. And this is one way that we could deal with the authorities. It's not the way I deal with them. I'd rather have a gentle approach. I'd rather work with the system as it is as much as I can, as long as it doesn't compromise what we want to do. I'd like to show the authorized person the fruits of unschooling. Maybe gently change people's minds about unschooling and say fighting the system for a more organized approach from a group of homeschoolers. But personally, I want to build up a relationship with the authorized person and my family. Yes, we can get angry and resentful about homeschool registration. There are children. Why should we be told what to do? And sometimes I do wish that things were different, that there was no such thing as homeschool registration, that maybe if there was homeschool registration, that the requirements were a lot more relaxed, that we were trusted more with the education of our children and didn't have to answer to anybody. But I have decided to look upon homeschool registration in a positive way. Look for the advantages of being a registered homeschooler. Maybe that sounds impossible, that there are no positives of being registered as homeschoolers. Maybe I'm just being hopeful. Maybe I look on the bright side too much. But I've got a couple of ideas to share anyway. We have to keep good homeschool records. This is for other people to look at, to approve our registrations. But those records can be for us as well, for our family. I have decided that I'm keeping my homeschool records primarily for us. Yes, they're good for homeschool registration, but I'm choosing to do them because I feel it's something that will benefit my family. My notebooks are attractive, they're impressive, they're full of wonderful learning experiences, they're full of memories. I've added photos, holidays, pictures that we like, poems that we enjoy. 
they tell the story of my children's growing up years. And when I flip back through them, I enjoy looking at them, and my children do as well. So primarily, they're family journals. I think we could do our family journals without all the outcomes numbers, but most of what's in my notebooks is useful from our family. I think we're going to look back at these journals in many years' time, and we're going to be glad we've kept them. I also think they might come in handy for such things as portfolios in the future, when our children have to prove to certain people that they have done certain things. The second positive aspect of being a registered homeschooler is that I have become very good at finding resources. I'm good at stirring. I'm always looking for ways to cover the school's curriculum, so I've always got an eye out for interesting resources. I like browsing the internet, looking at books, looking for games, looking for interesting places to visit. And I'm sure I'm exposing my children to lots and lots of things that they wouldn't naturally have come upon by themselves because I'm actively looking for a reason. I'm discovering new ideas, new books, software, lots of potentially interesting things that I might not have gone looking for if I didn't have to answer to anybody as far as homeschooling goes. We can look at the school curriculum as a boring document or we can look at it as a source of potentially interesting ideas. Just because something is included in the school syllabus, just because teachers are teaching it to lots and lots of children and they have to learn it, doesn't mean that the things in that syllabus are boring. A syllabus could be a springboard into some exciting learning adventures. Now, I don't suppose many people go to the school syllabus for inspiration, for things to interest their children. But it's just a matter of changing our attitude about these documents, understanding what they actually represent. Yes, school authorities didn't invent all the interesting things that are in those syllabuses. They have just changed them into dry language. The actual topics could be very, very interesting. And as I said, I do go to the school syllabus and try and find ways that I can interest my children in covering some of the outcomes that they might not naturally cover. But as I said before, we can offer, offer resources to cover these areas, but we can't force our children to learn anything if they're not interested. We need their cooperation. And finally, sometimes I wonder, if there were no such thing as homeschool requirements, would I become lazy about my children's education? Would I let them just get on with their days without interacting with them much? Would I remember to expose them to the wonders of the world? Would I just leave it up to them and their world would be a lot smaller? Sometimes I ponder this. <laughs> to do now is just give you some examples of the things that I put into my notebooks and how I turn them into educational language. Now for the last two weeks it has been the official school holidays here in New South Wales. My children have been busy doing all sorts of various things. I haven't really done any strewing. We went away on a three-day holiday which I guess is a strewing outing. I, we exposed our children to the bigger world by taking them away to certain places for three days. But on the whole, my children have just been pottering around at home. We've been talking to them. 
They've been finding things for themselves to do. I've been sharing some of the things I'm doing. And normally we wouldn't be required to record holidays in our homeschool records notebooks, but I'm going to because I feel that my children have had some rich learning experiences over the last two weeks. And I want to put those into the notebook, not just to remember for our sake, but also I feel they'll come in handy for registration time. We have to prove that our children are doing something like 20 hours of education each week for 40 weeks of the year. But those hours don't have to match up to the school terms. Even though I put my notebooks corresponding to the school terms, one, weeks 1 to 10 for each of the four terms of the year, I don't just record all the learning experiences between, say, the hours of 9 to 3 on those weeks of the year. I just organize my notebooks that way because it looks nice and neat, but I actually could put learning experiences from after school hours in and holidays into those weeks. It doesn't really matter when the kids did them. I think it's more important to show that they have learning experiences which match up to the school syllabus. So, so for the last two weeks of the holiday, I'm going to put those learning experiences into week one of term four, which is the term we're just about to start this week. And yesterday I made a list of all those learning experiences that I'm going to be making notes about. I haven't actually done it yet because I still don't have my computer. It's still being repaired. And I'm once again borrowing a computer to make this podcast. But when I've got my Evernote notebooks and my computer, I'm going to be making a lot of notes. But I've got the rough notes here. And this is what I did. I thought about the three-day holiday to start with. We went to Janolan Caves on one day and we saw some limestone caves. That's science and geography and chemistry, the chemical reaction of the formations forming inside the caves. As I said in my last podcast, I'll be clipping information from the Janolan Caves website into my notes to show exactly what we did on that particular day when we visited the caves. I also have photographs as well. The guide gave us a talk about how the caves are formed. I could probably find some information about that and clip it into the notebook too as evidence of what we heard. Now the indigenous people have a relationship with those caves and I could probably find an outcome for that as well. The caves were discovered by somebody. That's history. They have been developed as a tourist industry. The environment has been changed, modified in some way, so that tourists could go down into the caves and view the formations. So that is geography. I'm sure there's a section in the outcomes about how man has modified the environment, how, how man has used the environment. A lot of concrete has been put down inside the caves to make floors and walkways and steps Railings have been added as well. And there has been a lot of talk about environmental issues. Was all that justified? It has changed the natural look of the cave. And so this comes into environmental issues. I'm sure there's an outcome for that as well. We also spent two days in Katoomba. We went bushwalking there. We visited a place called Scenic World. Again, Scenic World used to be the site of a coal mine. Again, this is geography using the environment. It's also resources of our environment. 
and then the place was transformed into a tourist industry. That's how men are using the environment. There is a railway, a cableway, a skyway. We've talked about how these operate. We experienced gravity and lack of friction as we shot down the mountain in the steep inclined railway. Couldn't keep ourselves on our seats. We certainly experienced some physics there. I'm sure I could make an outcome out of that if I make some notes about it. We saw the Three Sisters, which is a formation, a rock formation at Echo Point. There's an Aboriginal legend to do with that. Aboriginal studies again. To get up to Katoomba, we had to come up the mountain, up a road. And that road was only possible because of the discovery of a way up and across the mountain by three explorers, Blacksland, Wentworth and Lawson. And the first road was actually built by a person called William Cox. That's history. The road has changed the landscape. It's still changing the landscape. That's geography. While we were up in the mountains, we saw a wind farm. We talked about renewable sources of energy versus things like coal. We talked about how some people don't like the appearance of the wind farms, advantages and disadvantages. These were just natural conversations we had in the car as we were whizzing along the roads. But they're things that I could note down and find an outcome for because all these things are in the school syllabus. While we were up in the mountains, we talked about natural disasters like bushfires because we went up on a cool week. But in the height of summer, there's a danger of bushfires up in the mountains, just as there is back at home. So that's geomorphic hazard, which I'm sure there's an outcome for. When we were walking through the bush, we went through areas of temperate rainforest. We read a lot of boards with information on them. We learned about different plants, different trees, the vines, the way the vines are holding the treetops together, stabilizing them, adaptations, symbiosis. The effect of the wind on the environment. We saw some trees on an exposed cliff. We saw waterfalls. All these things are geography. Animals. We stopped and listened to a lyrebird. We talked about other Australian animals. The list of things could be almost endless if we sit and think about it. We used our geographical tools to get up there, our GPS system. What maths did we use? We talked about distance. We talked about time. We talked about altitude. We compared altitudes. We talked about park management, the national parks up in the Blue Mountains. We talked about the effect of concrete around Echo Point, but how it also enables disabled people or those that are less fit to uh, access the area. How we couldn't take our dog up into the national parks. Dogs aren't allowed. They affect the natural environment, the natural wildlife. I'm sure I could find outcomes for all of that. That was just our three-day holiday. Apart from that, my girls have been doing an awful lot of things at home. I made a quick list of them. I'm sure there are more things than on my list. But they've been writing letters, emailing. That's English. Sophie has been researching healthy eating. This is a thing we do on a regular basis, but a week or so ago, I bought a new no-sugar cookbook, and Sophie's been sitting there browsing it and making plans and doing extra research, planning some new healthy recipes. And she's been telling me about all her discoveries that she's been reading. This is what we should be doing, Mum, and this works, and this is why we shouldn't have that, and I think that we should eat this. She is full of ideas about healthy eating. 
We've also been researching exercise. Sophie is very passionate about healthy eating and exercise at the moment, and she's got me involved as well. She has persuaded me to do a fitness blender program, and we're both going to start that tomorrow. That's all PDHPE. The girls have been writing blog posts about their holiday, English. They've also been editing their photos. That's creative arts. Editing using software. That's using、uh, computer technology. Blogs are digital media. Sophie has been going to choir practices over the holidays, practicing her singing. That's creative arts music. In the evenings, the girls have been watching、uh, mini series and movies. Not every night, but they have worked their way through Jane Eyre and Emma and the Pride and Prejudice series over the holidays. That's all literature, English. It's probably also history. They've been making notes for their Nano Rimo novels because Nano Rimo starts in another month's time. November is National Novel Writing Month, and they're going to be writing another novel each. So that's English. Gemma Rose has been drawing a lot. Art, creative art. They've been cooking, as I said. Sophie wants to try out new recipes. Cooking always involves maths as well as PDHPE. When we came back from our holidays, Sophie did a lot of research to see if she could find a second-hand Wii for sale, because at the cottages we were staying at, there was a games room that had a Wii, and we've never had one of those. The girls had never used one before, and it was a real novelty. You're having the opportunity to play some Wii sports in the evenings of our holidays, and they came home and discussed it amongst themselves. And then Sophie went to research if she could find a second-hand one that they could all afford to buy together. So she was on eBay a lot, comparing prices. Is it better to buy this cheaper one, but it's got a higher postage? Should they bid for one? Would it be better to buy now? All these kind of things. So that Sophie did a lot of research for. She also researched cameras. We talked about having a second camera body so that we could have more than one lens in operation at a time, instead of choosing to have a zoom lens and then being restricted by that, taking that into a cave, say, and and being able to see formations a long way away, and then being unable to take photos at close range because we can't quickly change lenses. We could add, actually have two camera bodies with a lens on each one. Sounds very extravagant, but Sophie said there's no harm in doing a bit of research, Mum. And so she researched all that, and researched all the features of more expensive camera bodies than the one we actually have ourselves. And in the process, she found out that there is such a thing as a mirrorless camera. The normal DSLR cameras are digital versions of the old cameras that had film. But new technology has enabled a new generation of cameras to be developed, which don't need mirrors. And she researched how they work. That's science. We talked about the advantages and disadvantages of them. We came back into creative arts again. So these are just some of the things that my girls have been doing over the school holidays. Things that I'm going to put into my record books, and find an outcome for. Translate them into the right educational language. I think they'll look good. We'll remember our holiday and at the same time satisfy our requirements for homeschool registration.、Now、I've written a number of blog posts about homeschool registration and especially about Evernote and how to use it for unschooling record keeping. I've also made a number of videos, 
and they're on my YouTube channel, Sue Elvis. And I have a podcast that I recorded right after we got our last registration approved, just after our authorized person came to visit us and I showed her my Evernote notebooks of the previous year. I made a podcast to tell everybody how that visit went. And that podcast is episode 27 and it's called The Tricky Business of Registering Unschoolers as Homeschoolers. So if you're interested in hearing more about how that visit went and how impressed our authorized person was with what we'd been doing as unschoolers and how I satisfied all the outcomes on the school curriculum, yeah, please go and listen to that. It's in the archives on my blog, also in the archives on iTunes and Podbean. So that reminds me, coming to the end of this podcast, that you can subscribe to my podcast through iTunes or follow it through Podbean, or just visit my blog regularly, follow that, subscribe to that maybe, because I embed the podcast there as well. So I'll put up some program notes with links to all the resources that I have for homeschool registration and Evernote, blog posts, the videos, the podcasts. And if you're interested, please visit my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, where I'll have all the links. So homeschool registration is a very dry topic, but I hope that that's helpful to some people. I don't know what I'll be talking about next week. Probably not homeschool registration, something much more interesting. So until then, I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast and say trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Mm-hmm.